Greetings, I am your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to the second season of my Weirdest Experience podcast. This is the show of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. And it's also a place where we discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm here with Ian Williams. He's an author and a speaker and a business advisor. And he is going to share a story about his beloved dog that passed away and anything else that he wants to share today on the show. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thank you, Tina. I appreciate the introduction. Um, Anywhere in particular you want me to start? Start from the very beginning of your story. So tell us, you know, what you were doing at the time um, and about the your dog and, and the situation, the circumstances. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it goes all the way back to probably 2009, 2010. Um, I was in college. I was subletting a room over the summer uh, with some friends. So it was just a, you know, a college house. And um, we had a couple friends in the neighborhood, one that was probably a couple miles away. Um, and that year they had got a couple dogs, a couple cats while they were in school. Um, and then over the summer, they all moved out. And uh, we, we later came to find out that they left the dogs with one of the, um, one of the guy's partners, his girlfriend. And I don't know if she was meant to be taking care of him or what was going on, but she didn't live at that place. And so she ended up locking the dogs in the basement and uh, was trying to sell them off. So we got a call, the guys that I was living with, um, said from, from one of those guys and said, Hey, you know, I guess my dog's in the basement. Can you go over there and just let her out and we'll figure out what to do with her. Um, so we went over, got the keys, still had access, went inside, uh, dog was probably down there four or five days based on our math. Um, so we, we, you know, rescued her for the summer. Um, and we were, you know, a bunch of college kids, really no idea what we were doing. Um, but we had this dog and, uh, turned into a, a wonderful summer. Um, and I, at the time was not working. Everybody else that I was living with had a job and was working. So I kind of by default turned into the primary caregiver, um, for Trina was her name. And, you know, that lasted about three months, right? The rest of the summer. And then the lease was up and we all went our separate ways, but we had this dog and we had to figure out what to do with it. And so that began, uh, probably about a six or seven year relationship. I took her in and, um, brought her home. I actually moved back to my parents at the time in order to finish school. Uh, luckily I come from a dog family. So she was, a she was a little American Staffordshire Terrier. She was all 45 pounds, but she was a brick house. Um, little pit bull that people don't know their terrier, uh, their terriers. Um, and she was a ton of fun, but she was also a ton of work. And so it led to a whole, you know, series of experiences over the next couple of years. Um, many positive, many really challenging, you know, she was, uh, she was a bundle of joy at home, but then you brought her out and, um, 
due to, I think, a lot of different reasons, probably her uh, upbringing as a puppy and stuff she was exposed to, also probably the traumatic event that she, you know, went through being locked in the basement, probably also myself not being a, even though I came from a dog family, I wasn't necessarily a dog owner at the time. Um, not certainly not one that was responsible enough to take care of her. And uh, so, you know, a couple of years went by, I was living at home for most of that time. Um, and then I finished school and moved in with a friend. We got an apartment in a kind of a suburb just outside of Minneapolis up here in Minnesota. And um, it was great for like six, eight months. Um, it was a wonderful building, uh, small, probably like 12 units, really pet friendly. So there's a lot of other pities around. Um, we were we were doing really well. And then there was just a, an unfortunate event where we had some friends over and my roommate let them in at the same time as um, another dog owner was passing through the hallway, taking his dog out. So Trina got out and it turned into a all out dog fight in the hallway, um, which was a pretty traumatic experience for me. You know, it's, it's challenging being in a space. I don't know if anybody's ever had to deal with that, right? Where your dog is attacking another dog, but obviously you're responsible for it. Yes, um, I have been in that situation before. It's scary. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, uh, it's not a good place to be. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, it was loud. It was chaotic. I have no idea how long it lasts, but I'm sure the entire building heard it. And I'm half the building was there trying to help, uh, by the end of it all. And, um, albeit difficult, you know, it, it eventually came to an end. Um, it was, it was tough. And anyway, at the time we got back. So I got her back into my apartment and I shut the door and, you know, she's got blood on her face and I've got blood on my hands. And um, she looked at me and she wagged her tail and her eyes softened. And she was like, it was just like she was saying to me, like, what do we do next? Right. What's next? For her, that moment was over. It was uh-huh. done. And for me, I had, you know, I had just had a traumatic experience, was probably still in shock for sure. And it all kind of came through um, in a moment, in a flash. And I just knew after the, you know, five years or so that we had, uh, together, I knew in that moment, like, this isn't going to get better. There were multiple, you know, bite incidences before that. Um, and after that one, it was just like, I'm not, I'm not prepared to do this. I'm not cut out to do this. And I don't think we had tried a number of different things, you know, from training to psychology testing for the dog, et cetera. I just didn't think it was getting, going to get any better. And so when she looked at me with those eyes, I knew in that moment, I've got to let her go. I've got to put her down. And that was probably in September. I was probably like three quarters of the way into my year long lease. Um, And so, you know, the next 24, 48 hours, I just started to kind of move the pieces around uh, and decided it was probably best to move back in with my parents. Obviously that incident strained my relationship with my roommate Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, So I moved back home again and started to prepare. And it took me several months to prepare to make that decision. I sat on it for about a month, really thought deeply about it, and was, I think, mostly just kind of coming to terms with it. Um, And probably in early November, I gave the vet a call. And I said, hey, you know, I got to do this. Um, But I scheduled it for late December. I wanted to get through the holidays. Um, It was a lot of quality time, you know, and I knew I was going to have some time off. 
uh, from work. And I just wanted to really kind of savor those last couple months. So that was probably in November, set the date for December 30th of 2013, um, I believe it was. And just kind of savored those last couple months, took them real slow, um, kind of moved away from a lot of the, you know, the social life. I was still young at the time, right? 21, 22, still like had a big social life, but I just kind of stayed put, stayed home, um, spent a lot of time with her. And the holidays came and went, and that day kept creeping closer and closer. Um, and, you know, I, if anybody's ever had to put a dog down, right, and especially if they've had to do it too soon, she was probably only, we guesstimated six or seven at the time. Um, it's a really, it's a really difficult thing to do. So we took her to the vet on December 30th and, uh, you know, let her go, let her transition to the other side. Um, and it was an absolute nightmare. Thankfully, my sister was there. Uh, my parents were there. So all four of us were there. Um, you know, and again, if anybody's done it, it's a really challenging thing. And you're not necessarily ready to let go, even though I had all that time to prepare for it. Um, and so my parents and my, my family, the rest of my family offered me some alone time. Um, so they left. And it was just me and Trina in the room. And she had already passed. She was laying on the laying on the floor and I was on the floor just sobbing with her. And, you know, I still get emotional talking about it. And I was just talking to her, basically, you know, looking back, praying. Right. I guess is how I would describe that. And I said over and over and over again, you know, come back and visit me anytime. And eventually wrapped it up. I probably spent another 10, 15 minutes in that room by myself. Went home, just kind of defeated and this is also probably maybe eight or nine years into substance use as well. Um, and so I don't know, you know, if any, if any of your listeners have any background with uh, substance use either, but at that point in my life, I just was not dreaming at all. Like it just, there was so much suppression going on mentally. Um, it didn't, I wasn't dreaming anymore, mm-hmm. but after this event, I went home and my dreams were just off the charts. Um, and I was doing a lot of, I'm a, I'm a very introspective kind of deeply self-reflective person. So I was doing a lot of journaling. I was doing a lot of thinking about it. And I knew at that time, you know, she occupied such a big space in my life. And I knew at that time, if I don't actively fill this void with something or some things that are healthier, mm-hmm. I know I'm just going to go deeper down this path of substance use and abuse. So, um, one of the things that I picked up was journaling, started doing a lot of writing, like hours a day. And I was having all these crazy dreams. And so that was one thing that I would do is I would wake up and I would just spend time writing down my dreams. Um, Not necessarily for any particular purpose. It wasn't like I was trying to analyze them. It was just like, that was just me processing. One of the ways that I was processing among many. And it had been, it was about a week um you know and I was tossing and I was turning all night and I was having these crazy dreams and I was waking up and going back to sleep and for for whatever reason I was remembering everything in the morning uh but there was one particular night where I had a dream and I woke up and I was laying in bed and I was just kind of thinking about it so I'm laying on my back I've got my hands behind my head I'm looking up at the ceiling and again if anyone has ever had a pet right there's a for me at least there's this period after they're no longer in your life where it still feels odd that they're not in the house Mm -hmm. right so it's the middle of the night and I'm staring at the ceiling 
and probably a little discombobulated. And she kind of punched the door open, you know, she nudged the door open. She walked in, she hopped up on the bed next to me and I, I turned and I looked at her and it didn't really register with me. Right. Cause this was only five or six days after the fact, like she's no longer here. So I turned over and I, uh, I rolled over to face her and she curled up on the bed right next to me like she always did. And she let out this big sigh and I fell asleep immediately. And I woke up the next morning and I opened up my journal because that's what I was doing every day. And I started writing about the experience, you know, and I started writing about it as if it were a dream. But as I began journaling about it, I realized I was wide awake when that happened. And it was a good thing that I was home alone because I totally lost it. <laughs> um, there was just no way for me to, you know, wrap my head around what had happened. And I was replaying it in my head over and over. And I realized as I was thinking back, you know, she entered the room. She hopped up on the bed. And I could see her and I could hear her, but she wasn't, she, she made no imprint on the mattress. Like her physical body wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I realized I was awake, you know, it was this transformational mystical experience that really changed the trajectory of my life. Um, and it took me, a uh, took me probably 45 minutes to just calm down, um, and kind of re-regulate, so to speak, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really the beginning of the rest of my life. Uh, I knew at that time, you know, again, being almost probably a decade into substance use, I knew I wanted to get clean, couldn't stop, uh, just couldn't stop using. And this was really the first experience that kind of proved to me, right, this, this kind of, there's more to this world, there's more in the spirit realm, and mm -hmm. I've got to go figure it out. Um, so that's kind of where it all began was that experience. Um, and I can pause here because I can certainly move on, but I can also pause here if you've got questions. Yeah. So when she came into the room and <clears throat> jumped on the bed, could you feel her? Because you said he, she, she kind of jumped in your arms. Or... Yeah. So she, I didn't reach out. There was no physical contact. Um, I didn't even think to reach out and pet her. I just rolled over and, you know, sometimes I'm a side sleeper. And so I just rolled over to face her and I looked at her, mm -hmm. but I heard that sigh and then I was instantly asleep again. Right. And it was just that I'd heard that sigh a thousand times, um, you know, over the years with her. And it was like, I'm ready to go to bed. Right. I'm relaxed. I'm down for the night. Uh, and, you know, she used to sleep in bed with me. That wasn't um, that wasn't unnatural at all either. But the way that I kind of describe it to people is you just kind of have this sense that, right, the the person or the thing is in the room with you. Um, you know, I heard her nudge the door open and I could feel every bit of her energy in the room. Mm -hmm. um, but when she hopped him on the bed, I didn't make physical contact. I didn't even think to, right? Again, yeah. at that time, in that moment, it wasn't odd to me. It was just like, cool. She's here and she's going to bed. Yeah. I've had had experiences like that too, with pets that have passed away, but so the, 
the dreams that you had, did you keep on dreaming about her after she passed? And did you see a pattern of maybe um, healing in those dreams as they went along, you know, chronologically or, or however they manifested? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not all of the dreams were necessarily about her. But I certainly, you know, dreamt about her and I still do dream about her, um, not as frequently. But there were dreams kind of moving forward, right? I mean, this, again, this kind of pivotal experience or moment in my life where I guess I would say is kind of like piercing the veil, right? And the reality that you kind of thought you knew in the world that had constructed itself around you or the one that you had accepted was now radically different yeah right because I started to question everything um there were absolutely dreams that you know I would say looking back signified healing right um a lot of dreams with water um a lot of dreams where I just kind of saw her you know roaming free um dreams where she was connecting with you know uh the other dog that we had in the family at the time Anytime I was out in public with her, you know, she was, anytime she was even outside, she was always on a leash, right? Because she was a masterful escape artist. Um, and we had had a number of bite incidences already, right? So by the end of her life, she was living, she was leading a pretty um, small life, I would say. And so, you know, to have those experiences where she was, you know, in dream state, out in the field, roaming free, playing with other animals, seeing other people, those things all to me, you know, obviously we, we also kind of construct the narrative that we want sometimes too. Right. But they all signified healing to me in, in a number of different ways. Yeah. Um, there was a, uh, you know, there's been a many other encounters along the way. One of the things that I picked up, um, after, uh, letting her go was I just started running, you know, so I signed up for, signed up for the Twin Cities Marathon, which was still like 10 months out. But again, it was just that, it was just that kind of accountability piece. I need to, I need to put this in place to make sure that I'm holding myself accountable to filling that space that now is now void with her gone uh, physically. And, you know, so we would go out and I just started running in the middle of winter, right? Like this is January in Minnesota. Um, and I, we talked about that a little bit for the podcast, right? It's mm-hmm. winter's get cold up here. Um <laughs> And that sounds like torture to me, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, running, um, especially at night in the wintertime in Minnesota, after a fresh snowfall is one of my all-time favorite experiences. You know, if people have um, ever experienced, uh, you know, Midwest Minnesota snowfall, obviously there's places that snow as well, but there's like, there's a quiet and there's a stillness Mm -hmm. that comes after a snowfall. I do miss that. I miss that magical blanket of snow that falls and everything's really quiet and peaceful yeah but that's the only part that I miss (laughs) you know if you're if you're dressed appropriately for it you can handle it um but it's it's cold right and it was one thing it was one of many things that I kind of you know dedicated her or it was a tribute to her right like I'm I'm gonna run this marathon and she and I used to run together And uh, so in many ways, it was like that year of running I dedicated to her. And so it was also at a, it was a 
time and a place in my life. It was an activity where I could not only kind of experience that stillness externally in my environment, but also get to that stillness internally as well, which was a difficult thing to do at the time. Um, you know, and so we would, we would run on the trails together and every once in a while I'd feel their pop in, you know, running on right, right on my left, like she always did. Um, and then it was, you know, if we fast forward even a couple of years, I remember going to a new year's Eve yoga class. Uh, I met a, I met my, at the time partner and now wife shortly after, uh, I, I let go of Trina and we went to a New Year's Eve yoga class together and I was laying in Shavasana at the end. And all of a sudden I felt Trina's paws on my chest and she was licking my face and, you know, she rode home in the car with me. So there's definitely been, you know, a number of connections since, right. But, um, it takes a, it takes a quiet internal state of existence. I think at least it does for me to kind of experience mm-hmm. those, um, moments, right. Where you can kind mm-hmm. of sense a more subtle energy around. Yeah. I, I had a, my very first dog, I didn't grow up with dogs because we lived in a city apartment building that didn't allow pets. So I, my grand, you know, my grandmother had a dog when we visited her in New Hampshire, but I had a, we had me and my partner at the time had adopted a white boxer, which a lot of people thought was a pit bull, um, but he wasn't. He just had his ears cropped and he was all white and he was probably nine when we adopted him. So he was close to the end, you know, cause they don't live that long. And I didn't want, I didn't want that dog because <laughs> I wanted the cute little, uh, you know, fluffy freckles that was also up for adoption, but my partner convinced me this was a great dog. I really want this dog. And we took him and we, we jumped in the van and we drove to, we were supposed to drove cross country, but we, we ended up stopping in Texas and coming back from, you know, van problems, mechanical problems. But, um, he, you know, my, eventually we split up and he took the dog And I know that the dog didn't, you know, he eventually died, but I had a very vivid dream about him too. Very similar to yours because I was asleep and he was in the dream. And um, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I know he was in my dream. And when I woke up, I literally sat up in the bed and looked around the bed for him. Because I felt the energy so strongly, like he was in the room with me. And it's something that I didn't think about. It's just something I automatically just sat up and said, where is he? And then I realized, oh, he's not here physically, but I felt his energy. So up until um, Trina passed, did you believe in an afterlife? You know... To be totally honest, it's not something that I feel like I spent a great deal of time thinking about. Um, You know, looking back now, you know, it's been almost a decade since letting her go and um, seven years of sobriety and recovery. And so looking back on it, of course, you know, hindsight's 2020 or at least a little closer to 
I knew during those years of substance use, I, I continued to see myself for whatever reason. And I, I hadn't, I did none of this mindfulness-based practice at the time, but I continued to see myself doing yoga, you know, practicing meditation, other mindfulness-based arts, but that wasn't really a part of my, um, it certainly wasn't a part of my day-to-day. It wasn't anything that I had done any research on. However, I've always been kind of a big thinker and a big dreamer. And so I always was curious, right, about this kind of great beyond. And, but I, aside from just that curiosity, I hadn't necessarily formulated any opinions or beliefs about it, right? Because mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily feel like I had any direct experience with it. And um, the night before this experience happened, where Trina came to visit me, um, I was reading a book called Of Water and the Spirit by an author named Maladoma Patrice Somay, I believe. Yeah, and I read that book. That book is amazing. It's There's some crazy book. stuff in that book. I remember book. reading that book going like, wait, what? And mm-hmm. I had to backtrack a couple pages, go, what's happening in here? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was at the point in the book where, you know, he had, so for anyone who hasn't read it, I guess you could say it's a, it's a memoir. He had, um, or an autobiography, he had, he was back in his village and he was going through his, you know, traditional rite of passage, but he was doing it as an adult, which again, according to my recollection, so please excuse me if the details are a little bit wrong, is not something that was traditionally done over a certain age. Um, and so I was, I was in the passage of the book where I was reading about some of his experiences during that rite of passage. And you know, maybe that was a little bit of like priming the pump, so to speak, right? About mm-hmm. like people do experience this, you know, great beyond. There are people that can, um, you know, in a, in a number of different ways, right? Kind of communicate with a more subtle energy or, you know, other dimensions or however you want to describe it. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, and so, you know, when I had that experience and the real kicker was, the the realization or recognition recognition of I was awake when that happened it wasn't a dream mm-hmm. it was a total shift in consciousness right because it was a um it just kind of shattered the reality that that I had come to believe or know and so I woke up that day and um I went to my partner's house at the time um not my current wife and she happened to be reading a book uh, called Many, Many Lives, Many Masters. Mm-hmm. Another one um, I've read. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, so she she started talking to me about the book that she was reading because, of course, for her, there was a lot of parallels. But for me, it was such a monumental experience that, like, it couldn't be articulated with words. And it was still so fresh and so raw. Um, but it was one thing that I said, you know, I know that I need to go explore. I need to go figure out what this, you know, curiosity is about. I need to go see if I can figure this out. At the time, it was with the intention of getting some answers. Now, after, you know, nearly a decade of mindfulness-based practice, it's not, it's not about getting answers anymore. Um, It's just about experiencing the depth of the practice. But, Mm -hmm. you know, so I started going to yoga weekly. um, And that's actually where I met my wife, now wife. Um, and I was doing yoga classes and, and just starting to dabble in some meditation for probably like eight or nine months. 
And I was starting to have these, you know, physical sensations and these energetic sensations in class that I was talking to my instructor about. And, you know, it was like, there weren't any answers, right? It was, well, that's cool. I experienced that too. And um, I had another friend at the time who said, you know, I've been studying Qigong, maybe you should go do some Qigong. And so I signed up for Qigong class that fall. And so I just kind of went all in and, you know, it ended up being yoga and Qigong and Tai Chi and meditation and martial arts. I just kind of went all in. Um, and looking back on it, you know, it was like, okay, that, that was a valid experience. I don't need anybody else to tell me whether it was real or not. I know it was real. Um, and I also don't need anybody else to explain it to me, right? Like part of what's special about it is the mystery. And for me, I would say that continues to be the case with, with my mindfulness-based practice, right? Is yeah. sitting down every day or, you know, getting to the mat every day or, or, or bringing your practice with you off the mat into the world. Like it's part of the mystery that's, that makes it special. So, yeah. Or what really matters is your interpretation of the experience and what does it mean to you? you know, personally, because over time, right, I talk about symbolism, like there's certain symbols that are, you could look it up in a symbology and what that means, but over time, you're going to create your own meaning with those symbols. Yeah, absolutely. You know, at, through your search, your inner search, right, your your inner meaning. So this was all triggered by Trina's passing. It all, I mean, it, it was, it completely, it was a watershed moment. It completely changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah. And that next year, you know, I, so I, I was, I committed to my uh, writing. I went really deep into mindfulness-based practice. You know, I started training for the marathon, started making changes to my diet. Um, I really, started to build the tools that I would then use to kind of lever my way out of substance abuse. Um, and it completely changed the trajectory of my life, right? It's not like, and the, I should say the way that it did that is because it started this exploration of that inner terrain, right? Like mm -hmm. that inner mm -hmm. landscape is what I now call it. Yeah. Um, and that exploration and that curiosity turned into a, um, it turned into self-awareness and that self-awareness is ultimately what became the fulcrum, you know, or the, the tool that allowed me to kind of lever my way up and out of, um, some of the habits and relationships and, you know, uh, jobs and all the places that I knew, like, I don't want to be here anymore, but I just felt like I was going through the motions in my life. It changed all that because for whatever reason, and, you know, looking back, I feel like this was really probably a a bit of support by some higher powers. I sometimes forced myself into saying this is an opportunity in some way, shape or form, right? Like I could play the victim card here and I could allow this to completely debilitate me, but I need to look at this as an opportunity and I need to find a way to look at this as a gift mm -hmm. and something that I can use to kind of springboard into um, you know, another, a, a newer updated version of myself, so to speak. And, you know, so there were, it's not like there wasn't crippling depression, there was, but I would sit down with my journal, or I would, you know, sit down in therapy or whoever I was really just kind of pouring my heart out to at the moment and, and would continue to reiterate that within myself, right? There's an opportunity here, I just need to find the silver lining. 
And it really began a mindset shift. And I think that mindset shift is ultimately one of the greatest gifts she's given me, right? Because it, it turned into an opportunity to um, look at the world in a different way. Not one, you know, where, where life was happening to me, but rather one where life was happening for me, you know, and I have an opportunity to be um, a more active and engaged participant in this world. And, and uh, that's really ultimately what I think kind of changed things was the mindset shift. Yeah. Yeah. I, you mentioned something earlier about after her passing and I, I didn't write exact your exact words, but you, that you feel the presence, their presence after they, you know, transition to the other side. And that is so true because I experienced that when I was way younger, when my father passed away and um, I was in the apartment and he's, his energy was just everywhere. I mean, it was overwhelming, you know, it wasn't like, oh, he's just a little bit here. It's like, boom, I'm here. And I'm looking at all the things that he left behind before because he went to work and collapsed at work. So there were like pots on the stove. And I said, oh, he might have used that pot, you know, to make eggs that morning or whatever it was. And I was just walking through the apartment and looking at his clothes and touching his clothes and, you know, but feeling, really feeling him there, that the his powerful presence was there with me and I was just crying and crying and my sister was crying and it was just so overwhelming that yes even though he's not here physically I can feel him here with me I can feel his energy or his spark his life force is with me and so that changed all everything just like you it it changed I said up until that point, I had been kind of raised Catholic and I didn't like that God that of the Bible. I didn't like him. I thought he was mean and cruel and scary. And I had rejected that years before. And I said, well, if that's God, then forget it. I don't believe in God then because I don't know what God is. Right. And then after my dad passed, I thought, wow, there if he's still here with me, and I can feel his energy and life force was with me, then there's got to be a God or a creator or a source. Like I, I more talk about creator. I like that word, you know, because there's no religious connection to that really. <laughs> so um, I, after that, I started believing in, you know, a source, a creator. And I thought, well, let me explore what that really is. You know, not what I'm being told it is, but what is, what is that really? And that life really goes on, continues. And then, you know, looking at my dad, he had died really young and that really changed how I felt about taking care of my body and being healthy and being as healthy as possible so that I could live a long time as a healthy person, right? as best as quality life that I could have. So it's so true. And even with pets, I'm a prolific dreamer. So, and I'm a medium. So 
if anybody dies, I end up dreaming about them or something or having a visitation. Can't even tell like you did. Can't tell if it's a dream or am I half asleep or, you know, what am I seeing? But yeah, the, and the wonderful thing is, I don't know if you've ever had a dream of Trina kind of telling you it's okay. You let me go. But I had a dream like that from a, from a dog that I had a really difficult relationship with. <laughs> and the dream was there were little kids kind of climbing on him and he was old already. And I said, don't do that. Don't climb on him. He's, he's old and you could hurt him. And I remember the look on his face. He looked up at me and I just had this feeling like he was thanking me for taking care of him all the way to the end. Like no matter how many times we clashed, like personality wise and what, who's alpha and I'm the alpha or whatever issue we had, that was his way of telling me he was grateful that I had taken care of him no matter what. I mean, what a beautiful gift to have. Yeah, and I you know, for, for the people out there who, um, you know, might be curious about the other side, you know, or might be curious and, and want to learn more, develop the skills. There's a, there's a couple things I would say. One is back to your point about symbolism. There's a very fine line between experiencing subtle energies and, you know, kind of like concocting them yourself, right? Creating the narrative, creating the experience for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I would certainly say I've done both over the years, right? But when this happened, I had no prior, you know, experiences. It's not like I was, you know, there. I've since met people, right, who are born a medium. They've been having these experiences or these abilities since they were children. That was not me at all um and it was through a very diligent practice you know uh, mindful multiple mindfulness based practices as well as a diligent practice of that exploration of the inner terrain that allowed me to develop a bit more sensitivity and awareness you know but all of that being said it can sound so you know kind of mystical and ethereal and esoteric even right mm -hmm. but what I still what I say to people still to this day is like we're all doing it all the time it's just whether we're aware of it or not right mm -hmm. when you, like in the moment after the dog fight when I brought Trina back into the apartment it was it was the way she looked at me right and it was it was the message that came through you could say it was how you interpreted it right but when you spend day in and day out years on end with an animal or a person, you start to read their energy, mm -hmm. right? And you're doing it intuitively. You're mm -hmm. communicating at a, you know, at a more subtle level. And it, I just, that's how I knew in that moment, right? Because for her, the moment was done. Like, boom, that was fun or it wasn't fun, but it was an experience <laughs> for her. And that experience was done. And she was like, let's, you know, let's go for a walk. Let's play with the toy let's do some training let's whatever it was like it was she was just done and I knew in that moment it wasn't necessarily that I need to part of what came out of it was I need to let her go but it was also like I don't think she's gonna find 
the healing and the peace, right? I think she's always going to be this dog. And when that realization came through for me, then it transpired into, you know, this, am I able and willing to live with this dog for the next eight, 10 years of her life, you know, however long it lasts. And in that moment, in that moment, I knew I'm not prepared to do this. I can't even, you know, straighten out my own life, let alone, you know, on behalf of, of this, this animal. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, there's a lot wrapped up in here, but to kind of go back to this kind of the subtle energies, right. The, we've all kind of heard the stories, right. The person passes and then you see the lights flicker or, you know, you could have sworn you caught them out of the corner of your eye, or there's a fine line between like kind of manifesting those experiences on your own because you want them to happen. You're willing them into existence versus they're happening and you're just aware that they're happening and part of what my mindfulness-based practice has taught me is if you and it's not like I approach my mindfulness-based practice because I want to develop these abilities that's not at all why I got into it necessarily I wanted answers but maybe it was why I got into it but it's certainly not what I'm trying to get out of it now Um, but that awareness is really important And in order to have that awareness, one has to have a really um, firm understanding of an ability to differentiate between what is them and what is not, you know, what's happening internally versus what's happening externally. Or one of those moments where, you know, you're, you're thinking about the person and then it shows up in front of you versus it shows up in front of you. And then you start thinking about it. You know, there's, it's a slight differentiation and that, being curious in that space is really what I would say for anyone who's like, really, if they're wanting to learn more about this stuff, right. It's more about curiosity than it is about like learning, learning to control it. Mm -hmm. Um, At least that's been my experience. Definitely. Cause when you come from a create from curiosity, it's more about allowing and accepting it happen instead of trying to influence or control But I think it's a combination of both. I think that we're creating it, but it's also happening. For example, we're all individuals, but we're also in a collective. So we're creating and 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 our reality individually, but we're still swimming in the soup of collective reality. Mm -hmm. And other people's thoughts and emotions can affect us. So it's both at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think also like the key is to pay attention, pay attention to what's happening because um, I mean, I wasn't talking to ghosts at three, three or five years old. That's, (laughs) but I was, I was getting information. I think all the time that I didn't understand what it was, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I started understanding, wait a minute, this might be information from spirit or it might have something to do with someone I'm with and I see somebody in my mind's eye and I don't know who it is. It might be connected to that person and not me. And then the question is, do I want to bring it up? Is it appropriate to say anything? Does it matter? You know, there's all these questions that come up, but I, once I started, I was like, Oh, because up until a certain point, I was dismissing all of it because I didn't 
understand what it was. And then when you dismiss it, you forget about it. It's like out of your mind. And that's why the journaling journaling is important because even with the dreams, you'll forget the details. So I was like, that something would come up. I would get a feeling or probably a vision. And I'd be like, well, I don't know what that is and move along with my day. <laughs> but now I know it means something. I may not know what it means, but I pay attention to it. Yeah. And that, you know, to, to kind of even to back away from the this kind of more subtle space, it was just that starting to pay attention, which is what changed the trajectory of my life, mm-hmm. right? Self-reflection of, um, I need to figure out why am I using, right? What's the cause of the depression and anxiety that's underlying because I'm masking it with substance use. And it was, it was paying attention and really diving headfirst into the deepest waters of self-discovery that led to all of the, you know, growth and maturation in my life, right? If you would have, if anyone would have said to me nine years ago, you know, this is what your life's going to look like a decade after putting, putting her down, I probably wouldn't have believed them, you know, mm-hmm. because it would have been so radically different from what my life looked like at that time. But it, it was so it wasn't, you know, like a decade later premeditated. It's not like I woke up and I said, this is what I want my life to go look like. I'm going to go make it. It was much more a process of, I'm going to go inward in an attempt to figure this out. And then it all just started to unfold before me. Right. And you have, Mm -hmm. you might be able to see a couple stepping stones ahead, but you can't see past that. And you just have to trust that those stones Mm -hmm. are going to show up for, you know, they'll be underfoot when it's time to take that step. And it led to, you know, I mean, it, it, it led to sobriety. It led to a new social life. It led to um, the mindfulness-based practices and all that has brought. It led to better physical, mental, emotional, psychological well-being. It led to, you know, an entirely new career. It's just, in a, it's a domino effect that I could not have predicted, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that came from the the day-to-day practice of just paying attention, Right. And it wasn't really trying to cultivate self-awareness. It was just self-awareness became a byproduct of paying attention. And, you know, there's nothing, it it can be easy to talk about this stuff and it can certainly for me still be easy to listen to it and then like put people up on a pedestal, right? Well, they figured it out. I don't claim to have anything figured out. Yeah. I just wake up every day and do my best to recommit to paying attention, you know, and quite honestly, I don't want to have it figured out. Like I enjoy the mystery, you know, and there are certain things that um, I make meaning out of, and there are certain things that are meaningful to me, you know, or, 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 um, you know, versus me kind of learning it's them teaching, which you could say is one and the same, but like there's this in to out process that's constantly back and forth, but you've got to get, you've got to get, um, familiar with your internal landscape because there's more variability you know in the head the heart the mind the emotions the physical body and if those things aren't I don't want to say you know completely consistent and stable but if you don't have a a gauge on your day-to-day experiences and your internal experience um, it can be pretty hard to kind of differentiate between between the two yeah that's what I call um 
interacting and communicating with the universe because I feel like the universe is always interacting with us and there are messages and hints and nudges and feelings and thoughts and pictures and that's all part of the communication with the universe and that's how you can live your life this uh, this is how it sounds like you're living your life this is the way I'm living my life so you can have goals and dreams of course but be flexible because there might be something even better than what you imagine coming your way Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, if it's something that you're dreaming up for yourself intellectually, it's almost assuredly not the best path for you. you (laughs) If you're you're living your life, and this is coming through personal experience, right? I mean, I have lived so much of my life through intellect and time and again, the universe reminds me, you know, there's something better in store for you. You just need to, you need to let go of that need to control, you know? You need to kind of release and relax into this space and allow it unfold. Um, Just be flexible and be open to magic. Because I think that that communication with the universe, that's the magical part. That's when the magic happens. And when you, the more you pay attention to it, the more magic happens. Yeah. And it can be easy to like, you know, I'm, you probably experienced this as well. Like it can be easy to get lost in that space too. Right. And there's something to be said about, you know, kind of grounding in this world, Mm -hmm. this dimension, right. Because this is, is a reality for us, not necessarily the reality, but it's a reality for us. And, um, you know, I've seen people kind of get lost in space and we've got real work to do here on this planet you know, in this society, this culture, and this species. And it's not to say that, you know, it's not about better or worse. It kind of goes back to what you're saying. Like we're individuals swimming in collective soup. That's a beautiful way to say it, right? Because there's always that, there's that duality and more, you know? And so it's it's not like, there's not one thing that's going to be the answer, but sometimes the way that I describe it is like the one answer is what's ever appropriate for the moment. And that's yeah. always going to be different. What's appropriate in the moment is always going to be different, but paying attention, you know, and then being really like calculated and intentional about building the skills to be in the present moment. Cause I know that's, that phrase is so watered down at this point, right? Like being the present moment. But if you haven't learned how to do that, and you haven't experienced what it's like to be here and and then not here, you mm-hmm. know, intellectually or emotionally or whatever. But the reality is you are always here, you know? And so uh, it's hard to be somewhere else. You can go somewhere else in your mind. You can go somewhere else, right? right when you're sleeping or whatever, but like you're always in the moment. It's just a matter of how much are we paying attention? How present are we? How How grounded are we in the moment? And then how aware of our surroundings are we? as we're in that moment. Yeah, I I just said to my teenage daughter recently, I said, you got to get grounded in your body. Come back to your body. Because we're in a body here for a reason. And that's where our power lies, is in this body and knowing that we're a soul and a body and that we get to dictate what we want to happen on this planet. Spirit doesn't have that they can advise us they can try to 
you know, manipulate us. They could whatever, but it's us. We have to decide, decide what you want and then say what you want. That's how I do things. When I do sacred ceremony on a sacred day or whenever I'm called to it, everything I say, this is what I want to happen. Make it happen. (laughs) And, you know, there are like, as you were talking, there was one moment from from the past that kind of jumped back into my head of, um, this is just a couple of years ago, maybe it was 2018. Um. I had stopped paying attention, you know, and I was in a Muay Thai martial arts class and I was holding a pad for a guy and he missed the pad with his roundhouse kick and broke, broke my forearm. And, you know, looking back on it, like I still jokingly say the universe broke my arm, but it was this, it was this like pay attention, right? It was that little mm-hmm. jolt and I rattled the cage. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm not paying attention anymore. Right. And yeah. so unfortunate that I had to you know experience that but also kind of testament to like that's how far I was from myself you know yeah. that's how far outside of myself so to speak I was it was just not I was not connected anymore right and so you get those moments where you kind of but then we have to take the initiative on our own of our own volition and like ground into that space you know recommit yeah. and that's a daily practice you know and yeah. so the as like as I speak and teach now and particularly with the clients that I work with in the business space and I I often hear this message you know like your spiritual work and business they don't they don't mesh um which you know to each their own but as I'm working you know with leaders it's it's like everybody's got this drive we want something more you know we might know how to get it we might not know how to get it but we're struggling we're just struggling And it's one of the things that I talk about often with my clients, right? Is, okay, let's first, let's just focus on your day-to-day human stuff. Let's get your business operations in order, right? Let's get you some time back and let's get you in a place where you're not spending all of your waking hours, just trying to keep all the plates spinning. Then we can move from there into a space, you know, for me, it's always into a space of well-being. I'm doing that kind of business process oriented work in order to get to a space where we can talk about whatever you want to call it, work-life balance, well-being, employee engagement. I don't really care what words you want to wrap around it, but like it's that it goes back to that kind of symbiosis, that two-way street, right? There's an exchange there and we need to be present and outward, but we also need to be receptive with what's coming inward. Mm -hmm. They need to be both. And I don't understand how you could separate the the physical from the spiritual it's it's all connected you know it's all interdimensional that's what we are no matter how much somebody out there wants to separate it out and label it and put it in different categories it's not going to work that way you know universe is going to come in and swipe the cards off the table (laughs) Or for example, this, you know, what reminded me this morning, I stubbed my toe on the chair and it's because I was rushing through things this morning. So I have the awareness that, yeah, I stubbed my toe because I'm moving too fast and I'm trying to do too many things and I need to slow down or, you know, you hurt yourself, right? Stub your toe or break a bone, even worse, 
So whenever like I have clients that have accidents, like they sprained their ankle or, you know, or they have a car accident, I always ask a lot of questions like, what were you thinking about when it happened? What was happening in your life at that time? Where were you, what were you planning to do? What kind of job did you have? Were you happy about, you know, it's like all of that. And the accident tells you, usually don't do that. Don't be doing what you're doing. Don't be heading in that direction, literally. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what you said, right? About the symbolism, like it's the, it's the process of meaning making. What mm -hmm. is your process for making meaning? And my life has benefited greatly from having a, a more consistent process, right? And my modalities are journaling and mindfulness-based practice practices, you know, exercise, getting into my body. Like there are things like that, which um, they're very deliberate practices for me, you know, and, and other people have their own versions of that, right? Some people are in their flow state when they're, you know, whatever, riding their bicycle or when they're doing their work or, or when they're cooking in the kitchen, whatever it is, but like find those things that get you into that close space with yourself, because that's the state of existence that I think is where we stand to develop that self-awareness, you know, and that, um, the clarity to see the world the way it is. And even if you're stuck in your mind or, you know, you can't clear your monkey mind or whatever the issues are. That's why the word practice is used because the more practice and time and energy you put into it, the better you're going to get at it. And also, yeah, right. There's that. And then there's, there's the depth of practice as well, right? Like how present are you when you're sitting in meditation? Are you really with yourself? Or are you thinking about your grocery list? Mm -hmm. like, I can't mm -hmm. remember who is it John Kabat-Zinn who says like who are you who are you with in the shower right are you with yourself <laughs> or are you thinking about something I'm else? never alone no, I'm just kidding <laughs> no. um, but it's one of the phrases I love about you know in the in the yoga community right like bring your practice off the mat yeah yeah no, it's, it's not something we do when we just you know go and sit right or and like we, there's we, moments where you can practice all throughout the day or for example like I like to get massages like monthly massages and when I'm laying there all I'm thinking about is how I'm feeling as a result of the massage and then when I my mind starts to wander I bring myself back and I said let's not think about that right now let's think about how I'm feeling in my body due to the massage yeah, yeah so it's all those different ways to bring your self back to the present moment because on a massage table that's where you could really just run off the ethers if you just let yourself yeah. <laughs> I have a friend that she gets massages too and she's like I wasn't even in my body and I said mm -mm, I don't do that when I'm getting a massage I make sure I'm in my body because I want to be as connected to how I'm feeling as a result of the massage. Yeah. Just being engaged in the process. Right. Being present with that moment yeah. of receiving that massage and how it's making me feel. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, um, 
there's like a little test sometimes that I, it's not really a test. It's a, it's an experiment sometimes that I ask people to do um, if they're curious about this stuff, which is like when you're grocery shopping, <clears throat> pick up, you know, whatever it is, pick up one product in the right hand, pick up another product in the left hand and like, just think about, okay, if I put this into my body, how does it feel? And then kind of detach from that feeling. Pay, I mean, observe the sensations, the physical sensations, right? And then if I put this other product in my body, how does that feel? You know, it's just that, and then observe the physical sensations. You know, I didn't know as a child that I probably had dietary sensitivities my entire life. Right. And it wasn't until I started doing the mindfulness based practices where it was like, wow, I'm eating this and I'm not feeling good after. Mm -hmm. I'd never really put those two things together. It wasn't part of my awareness yet. Right. But it's little simple things like that that we can do from a moment to moment basis to stay engaged with our lives. And, you know, that that relationship between the internal landscape and then the external landscape. It's that's where all the that's where all the juice is. That's where the magic is. Mm -hmm. Well, Ian, I could talk to you all day about this, but <laughs> we're approaching the hour point. So please share how people can contact you and a little bit. I know you're an author. So about a little bit about your books and your, your practice, your services. Yeah. Appreciate it. Um, February 21st of 2023. Uh, I will be publishing my first book. It's called Soil and Spirit. Um, it's, a, it's, it's got a lot of similar themes to what we talked about today, right? How internal transformation is what's going to lead to kind of cultural transformation. Um, so if they want to learn more about that, listeners can go to www.reviveyouandi.com. It's revive, the letter U, A-N-D-I.com. Um, if they want to reach out to me personally, it's just ian at reviveyouandi.com. Uh, and then if anyone's interested to learn a little bit more about business consulting work, that's www.stillpointinsight.com. Um, so those are kind of my main websites, Revive You and I, Still Point Insight. And then if they want to find me on social media, I'm either Ian C. Williams or Revive You and I. So for Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it's Revive You and I. If they want to find me on LinkedIn or YouTube, it's Ian C. Williams. Um, happy to connect, happy to reach out. Um, same could talk about this all day. <laughs> this is, these are the conversations that I love having. This is these are the type of conversations that I live for. So yeah, um, me too. Yeah, reach out if you're interested. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your beautiful story about Trina. I'm sure a lot of people could relate because we've all lost animals that we loved or loved ones. And, you know, there's life after death. That energy is still there. It's just, transformed to something different yeah thank you for the opportunity to uh to share the story tina i appreciate it all right thank you so much yeah thank you hi friends thanks for listening this is your host of the weirdest experience podcast tina clark I also wanted to share with you, I have my own energy healing business called Stargazing Angel LLC. I offer energy healing sessions, EFT tapping sessions, tarot readings, 
and I also offer classes on Reiki, shamanism, and tarot, and more. If you're interested in having a session with me, please call 843-695-7218, or you can email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. You can also check out my website, which is www.tinakinneyclark.com. That's T-I-N-A-K-I-N-N-E-Y-C-L-A-R-K-E. Thank you for listening. If you have a weird experience to share, please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Check out our website on tinakinneyclark.com. Also, we're on Facebook and like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.